You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Whosoever be he worthy, you shall have the power. Whatever, man. It's a trick. Oh, it is much more than that, my friend. <laughs> If I lift it, do I get to rule Asgard? Yes, of course. I will be fair but firmly cruel. <clears throat> be right back. Are you even pulling? Are you on my team? Just represent, pull. All right, let's go. Come on, Cap. <laughs> Nothing. Oh, no, no, that's not a question I need answered. The handle's imprinted. Whosoever is carrying Thor's fingerprints is, I think, the literal translation. Yes, well, that's a very interesting theory. I have a simpler one. You're all not worthy. <laughs> Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole uh, or shawarma hole. Uh, I don't. Is that a thing? No. Uh, And it sounds really shawarma? awkward. <laughs> yeah, it really does. But shawarma, anyone? I love shawarma. Uh, I don't know. I'm. Ah, uh, me too. So. Well, I hope you've uh, grabbed a drink and uh, just pulled up a chair. I'm I'm Matthew Rushing, of course, and uh, I've got some great friends here to talk some fun stuff. We're going to talk a little Age of Ultron tonight, and to help me do that are my Marvel fanatics, <laughs> Daniel. Great to have you on the show. I I am glad to be back. Uh, third time talking Marvel stuff here, and and uh, man, I. I'd love to keep going, just like the Marvel Universe keeps on plugging on. Well, I'm glad to have you here, and of course, uh, I couldn't have you on and not have your counterpart, nemesis. your uh, nemesis, okay? Uh, I was going to say, yeah, uh, it, it's a little bit like you guys are an old married couple, uh, and so it's nice having you guys on the show, because I think it makes people feel right at home. They just like hearing me Andy, how's it going? yell at Daniel and tell him he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, you you do Often. that quite well. Better than anybody on the network. <laughs> Just wait until Civil War, man. Civil War is going to come and it's, <laughs> it's going to split the network down the middle, man. It's going to be crazy. We're going to have to have like a four-hour battle when Civil War happens. And Daniel will be like, Iron Man is better. And I'll be like, Cap, 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 Cap. And it's going to be great. And I'm going to be like, Cap is better too. <laughs> We outnumber so. you. I mean, he already was better in this film. <laughs> by the so, by, the end of that film, anyway. Cap is going to be dead, and oh, I shouldn't. Well, I that should've... is that is yeah, that is a good question. <laughs> We will talk about that at the very end okay. of the show. But um, Avengers was one of the biggest films in comic book history, uh, and it was the first time that any movie from any of the franchises from any of the major comic book companies put together their big team. Um, Obviously, we've seen the X-Men, but, you know, the Avengers is, you know, the Justice League of of Marvel, and they're the ones who pulled this off first, and Avengers became, I I think, one of people's all-time favorite comic book movies ever, and um, so I, I, I didn't... I didn't relish the job that Joss Whedon had of trying to follow that up with Age of Ultron. And so I just wanted to ask you guys, 
the first time you saw this, because I'm sure if you're like me, you may have seen this more than once already uh, because you needed to. What was your first reaction from the first time you saw it kind of walking out of the theater? What were you thinking, Andy? I was thinking that was fun, uh, basically. Uh, I mean, I I think, and we probably will go into some of the flaws of the film because there are a handful. Um, But overall, the entire time I was watching it, I was engaged. And most of the time I was having a great time. And that's what you want from a big summer blockbuster action movie. So I was pleased. I don't think it's quite as um, contained as the Avengers was, um, but overall, I still had a ton of fun. So that's the most important part to me is did I walk out of the theater and feel like, yeah, that was a good time, and I did. That's actually exactly what I was going to say. Like, the fact that, I mean, I had a big goofy smile on my face most of the movie. I just, I was laughing when you were supposed to laugh, and and there there are certainly issues with the film, but... But man alive, if it's not a great time, like you're just from scene to scene to scene, there's something to love. Uh, I, uh, the first Avengers film, man, you're uh, in my mind, you're it's going to be real tough to top that. I, I'm I'm an unapologetic defender of that film. That's it's my absolute favorite favorite comic book movie ever. Um, and I, there's and and even w- when I was watching this movie, I was thinking in my head, there is there really is something magical about seeing these characters that we we've grown to know and love team up we don't like it's 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 a very rare thing in movies um and it and it's never done on it's never been done on this scale except for of course the original avengers and even though there's problems even though there's issues and it, it's not perfect man like that 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 party scene when they're all trying to lift thor's hammer that's enough for me. You could that could be the whole movie, and I would still have a great time at the movies. So yeah, I'm pretty sure this movie proved that the most fun thing is just putting them all in the room and watching them react to each other. I I agree with that. Um, because I I the, walking out of the movie the first time, I turned to my wife and I was like, "What did you think?" Because I honestly didn't know what to think, and it was because there was so much happening in the movie. That by the end of it, I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, that was just my first reaction. It was like, there was so much that happened in this movie. I didn't really know how to process it because it, it felt like there was too much coming at me at one time. And there were, I mean, there's a lot of action scenes and um, they're trying to cram all this stuff in. And I can see where they're trying to connect all these things and I was just, I think for me, when I walked out, I was just on overload and my immediate reaction was, okay, I'm going to have to see this again to try and figure this out. You, you know, I can't, I don't have an opinion right now. I just feel like overwhelmed. So I should see it again to see if I can kind of make more sense of it um, and get a, a better gauge. Um, and so, you know, first just walking out of the theater, I don't know if that necessarily right at that moment makes a movie good when you're like I need to see that again because I don't really know if I caught half of the things they're trying to get me to catch and I don't really know what to make of it so making sense of this story because Marvel is doing this thing where we are wrapping up the second phase 
uh, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we're moving on to the third phase, and a lot of things are going to change. Like this, this film brings a massive amount of changes that are going to happen in the Marvel Universe, and it comes down to Age of Ultron to wrap up some things on a nice bow and leave some other things open and also open up new doors. I mean, we're finally going to get some Thanos soon. <laughs> um, you know, they, that's uh, what we've they been say. waiting for like, what, <laughs> nine years for Thanos to show up? That's what they um, say. So, um, yeah, help. Let's talk through the, the story itself um, and where it makes sense and how it makes sense and, and where maybe it's a little too unfocused or serving too many masters. Uh, what did you guys think about the, the storyline here for Avengers 2? Because Avengers, like you said, Daniel, is is a great film because it, it has a, a tight focus to it. Um, and the way they're wrapping up that first phase of the Marvel Universe I think came together in a way that <laughs> I don't know if it comes together for, for Ultron. What do you guys think? Well, it's different, right? I mean, phase one was tighter and neater and easier to wrap up, um, right? We have less characters overall. Um, all of the characters have gone through less, you know, not notwithstanding the entire Avengers ordeal, um, right? Which kind of essentially is the genesis of <laughs> what the reason that Stark does what he does in this film, which is, is kind of the driving factor, right? He talks about it early on in the movie. Hey guys, remember when I went up at the nuclear the guys, remember that that happened? That was a thing like that's, that changed everything. Like, you know, it, it, so it, 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 it makes sense that Avengers is a better self-contained movie, uh, an easier packaged film. Um, this one has, does have more to do. Um, and like you and I were talking about, Matthew before this and and you know we're not the, the the geniuses that came up with this idea we're not the first pe- people to suggest it but this film definitely would benefit with an extra 20 to 30 minutes of, of footage which apparently there is and will be on the DVD or whatever is the ex- yeah Josh said he has a three hour and 15 minute cut of this film and I yeah I, it totally shows yeah that there's a lot that gets pulled out of this film to kind of streamline it and not always in the best ways. No, yeah, yeah, agree, I agree and I can't wait to see that cut of it. I think that that will be the the definitive version of 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 Ultron, right, where we Yeah, like the Lord of the Rings extended films. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> 10 hours. That's worth. A whole, <laughs> 10 hours. Not, worth I'm, not, of, I'm not uh, Lord of the Rings fan. <laughs> but um yeah, I don't know. But or or like uh, right the the motion picture d- uh, director's cut, right? Like where yeah, you get yeah. where you get Or we're about to do with um the Days of Future Past with the Rogue cut that's going to come out here oh, in yeah. uh in July. Um just announced, I think it's July 14th. Brian Singer that said that would come out. So yeah, it seems like um, directors these days aren't afraid to take what they've had and really maybe at that point kind of craft the vision they had that the studio didn't like, but we all kind of <laughs> wanted vision. to see anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I actually didn't mean that as a joke, but yeah, anytime we say vision here, yep. it's everybody's going to be like, oh, you said vision. <laughs> I mean, to be, to be honest, I would have rather they just released a three-hour version. It's not like we can't handle three-hour movies. 
No, I mean, I, yeah. I, I mentioned Lord of the Rings and the, you know, the Hobbit films. Uh, uh, the, all of those movies have have really given us some um, some some amazing uh, storylines, and they're all very long. And we all sit there because we love them. I I think anybody would have gone into a three-hour cut of The Avengers and been like, three hours of The Avengers, awesome! I mean, and, you know, kind of watching the film and kind of seeing the scenes that needed more life to breathe, I can completely understand why I'd want to see three hours. I don't know if you know off the top of your head the running time of this film, but I imagine it's close. Two hours and 12 minutes. 12 minutes. Yeah. So And that flew by like that i mean i definitely would not have been affected for uh, some some extra scenes i mean i i could have definitely sat there for another hour it wouldn't have bothered me one yeah. bit two hours and 21 minutes officially ah, I switched the um, one in the two is, so but yeah another you know 45 minutes to the film basically would would do wonders i mean okay so let's talk about maybe some of the scenes that we would have wanted to see more time andy was there anything specific that really jumped out at you you're like okay this storyline definitely needs more There's service. a couple things. One is uh, the fight scenes in general seem to be missing some stuff. The editing was pretty choppy, it felt felt like to me. So, like, I feel like there's probably a lot of action footage on the cutting room floor that would probably have made some of his action sequences flow a little better. The other thing I would have liked is yeah. more background on where this Bruce Banner, Black Widow ro- romance came out, came out of nowhere. Um, I would have liked to see that build slower. So it felt more organic because we start off the movie and apparently they've been, I don't know, flirting and falling in love. and But we haven't seen it. It's all been off screen. And then suddenly we're being told by basically everyone that this is a thing now and get on board. I would have liked to see some ramp up to that. You didn't think that their conversation in the bedroom uh, when he comes out of the shower kind of answers that question for you of, of why this has become such a close relationship? I think that they had good chemistry, and I think that we had two really great actors, and I think that Bruce Banner and Natasha have a lot of things in common that I could see them being drawn into, but it just felt very abrupt to me. Um, that, And especially since... They've used Black Widow as a love interest for a lot of different Avengers at this point. Um, and so it, it kind of seems like very forced. Like they they use Black Widow as a way of bringing out an emotional arc for one of the male Avengers in like every movie she's in. See, and that's where I think I took it differently because in Avengers, I don't see her and Clint as being, or Hawkeye. I don't see them as being a relationship. It always played off like a close friendship. To me, too. But they definitely they definitely use that relationship to deepen Clint for us. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, that's, that's, that's not saying he's a love interest. And then with Steve um, and, and Winter Soldier, I don't see that so much as... Um, like a, a huge love interest, mainly because she keeps trying to set him up with other women the whole movie. <laughs> um, but two, uh, I, I feel like that's kind of more of this thing where the, you have these two people, they look like they do, they're both going to kind of be attracted to each other. That just happens. It's Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson, for gosh sakes. 
Um, I'm I'm watching my language, Cap. Um, and uh, you know, I that's I, I don't again. I I see that as her kind of playing this uh, big sistery type role to him in some ways. Then then so much a and that's how I just took it. In the in a relationship, they have a a great working relationship, and I think she she kind of gets you know captain america she basically i think she looks at him as like being what she wishes she could be and uh, kind of giving him an education as well at the same time with the spy game so when people talk about her her being this like love interest all the time i don't i don't i, just, I to me i just don't feel like they're watching the movies very carefully um and then her recruiting bruce banner and their relationship in um Avengers and then moving forward I I don't know I I immediately kind of bought that these two people who are like she says you're a monster I'm a monster um they get each other in a way that nobody else is and honestly for me when I felt like that was somebody I'm immediately connected to them in a very deep and it usually means me to have romantic feelings for that person. So l- let me ask you this question then, as someone who 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 does buy that relationship totally. Um, the the scene where Natasha at the end, where she's talking to Nick Fury, and she says, "Did you know what you were doing? Did you know that ultimately that this was going to lead to this kind of a thing? Like, how does that play off to you? Because to me, that was like." It, it was a kind of a strange scene. And of all scenes that they would possibly cut, I felt like that was like something odd, that they, kind of an odd thing that they left in there, probably to convince people that maybe that this was a great idea or this was a good idea. But like, if, you, if you're like watching the film and you're like, no, I get this relationship. It makes sense to me. Uh, do you like, is that like, how does that work for you? Do you, do you like that scene? Does that, or is it like kind of overkill at that point? I guess. Uh, no, I thought it was a nice scene because, um, it, it to me it, it played off as Fury knows who Bruce Banner is as a character and a person. He knows who you know Natasha is as a as a as a person and a character, and kind of understanding their damaged pasts. I think he could obviously see that they might form a a relationship that would just go beyond you know um, something on the surface. That these two people might be able to find a way to help each other heal. And to become more whole um, as they work through their issues together. I mean, when you find somebody that you connect with on that kind of level where you feel like they understand you in a way that nobody else does, it creates romance. I mean, in a lot of ways. But he could, I for mean, a lot of people. He, he could only see that out of the left side, right? That's, that's what you're saying. Right. He, yeah, it's, it's a little short-sighted right. for him. Uh <laughs> But uh, no, I that to me that's that's where I I mean it just again it kind of made sense and I think Andy you're correct this storyline either needed its own film almost or it needed more time and I think it was Joss even said it had more time in this three hour cut um, so if we had given you know some of these scenes room to breathe I think more people would have caught on exactly what Joss was trying to do and yet you know you you start cutting things up and and you do start to lose the coherency sometimes of the storyline and i think that just happens with this one specifically yeah i mean it's not that uh-huh. i don't see why natasha and bruce would be drawn to each other that's not what it is it's just that 
And you're right that, for me, I always thought that her and Clint were friends, and I always thought that her and Cap were more friends than anything else, but I I don't think that it's as clear-cut as what you're saying, because I think that they were kind of teasing the possibility uh, that that they could be more than friends in both cases, Um, and then, then we have Bruce Banner being the only one that she basically is confirmed as, you know, a romance uh, story. But at this point, we've already been teased with it a couple times, and this one feels like it comes out of nowhere. So I can see why people reacted badly to it. And, and like, if... Uh, and like you said, Matthew, if maybe there was the more scenes, maybe it would make sense. Or if this film built to it towards the end, and then, like, that, like that was the culmination. Like, maybe she tried to convince... Bruce Banner to stay around because she had that's when she confirmed her feelings to him but like she was almost chasing him the whole film and that kind of felt a little out of character uh, t- to me I just and, and 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 again the last time we saw these two characters interact was in Avengers and in Avengers she was terrified of him she she had been assaulted essentially assaulted by this guy this well the Hulk but you know had been assaulted by this character and and uh, I don't think she was afraid of of Bruce necessarily but but nothing would lead me to think that all of a sudden now she's the only person in his life that can calm him down like that's a big jump and I guess you would assume that maybe there's been things going on between those two stories I don't know but that that was kind of like the biggest issue for me it was like. Oh, okay. So she just rubs his fingers for a second, and then he's okay. She's the she's the Hulk, wizard. right? <laughs> exactly. And yeah. so that's why that makes sense. Right. Um, no, I mean, I, I I see what you guys are saying, and I, I think again, it, it's playing the same note we were talking about. This movie needs more time for these storylines because another big storyline that needed more time or just needed to be in a different film altogether. Almost um, was that that Thor storyline. Where he goes to uh, the sight waters. Yeah, that's uh, one and of the examples of. Uh, I, I finished watching that movie and I was like, I bet they're like 90% of the audience didn't get half of that. Like, I, I, I talked yeah. to my friend um, who's a total normal, non geek person and I was like, So you've seen both Avengers films, right? And he goes, Yeah. I'm like, Do you have any idea what an Infinity Stone is? And he's like, No. Um, and this is an example of some some deep like insider baseball almost that just didn't get enough time to for us to understand what what the heck thor is doing and why it matters no i completely agree and honestly i think that it is something that marvel is bad at because i see it on their tv show as well um where they just kind of assume that you you know what they're talking about without having been more explicit in telling you things, you know. Um, and when these films come out, you know, so many years before one another, it is really difficult to to remember everything that's happened and all the little, you know, end credit scenes that, which really is the only place that we've been talking about most of the time. These Infinity Stones, it is very difficult to to have all that information. And and yeah, Marvel has a bad habit of just kind of assuming that you know what they're talking about without really giving it to you in a way that helps you 
I think, really remember it, or they just kind of gloss over it as if, oh, you, it, it doesn't really matter. And so that Thor scene, one, it's really setting up what's going to happen in uh, Thor Ragnarok, as well as what's going to happen with the Infinity War. And that's where I just feel like we're serving too many masters. We're, we're, we're not so focused on telling this story well we're we're so focused on trying to continue the universe and that's a hard place to be in because you start to add things to films where it subtracts from the actual story you're trying to tell and doing that really and i i agree except for i love it Well, so what's interesting, right, like to me is the fact that you don't have to, like we've gotten to the point, I mean, even to this point, we're at the end of phase two in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you don't need to know one damn thing about the Infinity Stone. Language. You don't have to know anything about it. Like you could ask anybody who went to see this movie if they liked it or they hated it, it doesn't matter, be like, do you know what the Infinity Stones are? No. Does it have any effect on how you feel about this film? No, it doesn't matter. Essentially, the only time the Infinity Stones are going to matter is once Thanos gets his hands on all of them and puts the glove on. And I'm sure there's going to be a huge exposition-filled scene in Infinity War when he... It, oh, hey, remember that one that one cube from Captain America and uh, Avengers? And then you remember that one bit from Thor 2? And you remember that one thing from whatever, whatever? Like, they'll definitely like be like, these are the things that are have been in all of the movies that you've seen. And, the, and if you're not a comics fan, you're going to be like, oh, yeah. That makes sense. There's probably going to be some great big flashback scene where it's going to show each individual thing. And Oh, by the way, Vision's forehead. His thing is also an Invisity Stone, and, and it's going to be part of the thing. And But you don't need to know that. We pick up on it because we know what that means. It matters to us as comic book fans, as people who are on the in. So we've... I mean, I, I'm not defending this scene, um, the, the Thor scene specifically, because... I just read an interview with Joss today. I don't know if you guys saw this, but he was like, he had to put that scene in. Um, and he, it was essentially, they were like, you put that cave scene in or we're taking the farmhouse scene out right, yep. of the film. And he was like, no, no, you can't do that. You, there's no way. So, you know, and it was, I guess, originally supposed to be a much lar- a longer scene. Um, it was a confusing scene. I, I totally agree. Um, I'm not defending the scene, but I am saying that I don't think Marvel is bad at explaining these things. I just don't think they need to explain these things. I mean, it's it's been a thread, and it'll be interesting to see how the general public will react when it's kind of yeah. revealed to them. Hey, we've been talking about this. This is the underlying thread of all of our movies so far. Surprise! You know, I mean, you know, we see it because we know what's happening. But but uh, it'll be interesting to see how the general public reacts to that. And I think you almost just made my point of why then in this kind of story, it's not important to do those connections so overtly like this when it's detracting from other things in the storyline and the story, which we've already talked about. Yeah, if you have a three hour cut, then you can make that scene longer and it means more as you are working towards setting up phase three, which is, you know, what we're doing at this point because this is the end of phase two uh and so yeah i think you just made the point beautifully of why then it's not important to to be serving so many different masters in this film make avengers 2 and make it about the age of ultron 
which honestly, the age of Ultron gets cut kind of short in this film. We give kind of short shrift to the villain and his motivations and, and the creation of a character like Vision and all these other things, the twins. Like, there's so little explanation for all the things that actually happen in this film. And we're already trying to cram in things from movies that aren't going to happen for like three, four, five, six years from now. It's like, just focus here. So you can tell a really good film here. So that way, none of us walk out going, man, that film was good, but it was crammed full of so much stuff, and it could have been better. Because that's really the reaction that I've heard from just about, you know, everyone, is that this is a good film, it's just, it doesn't have the focus or the or the the same narrative enjoyment as we got, say, in the first Avengers, because it, it it's got too much going on that's not well enough placed together to create a more coherent story. I think that's a legit criticism. I just, this is what I love about the Marvel Universe, to be honest, is like this really very intense and epic and detailed universe in which all of these little puzzle pieces fit together. And yeah, maybe some people aren't getting it all, but I am and I'm adoring it. So, like, if my friend that didn't know what Infinity Stones are, the very next question I asked was, did you enjoy the movie? And he was like, oh, yeah, I loved it. It was really fun. So, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where if if people who don't care at all about this, like, overall narrative arc that's going through the entire MCU and are still enjoying the movies, and they obviously are because they're going to see them in droves, and then the three of us who do understand all of these little threads that are going in are also enjoying the movies. To me, that's a win-win. It, it, and I, it's just like, to me, it's like, I, I, I agree with this criticism. I've, le- I've levied it myself against the film that there's a lot going on in it. And there's, there's, it's crazy packed. Um, I don't think it's, it's, it's certainly not, it doesn't kill the film. And it's cert- like, it is a, to me, it's a minor, it's just like, oh, like, I, I, to compare it to something Star Trek related, and I don't think it's necessarily this minor, but I don't think it's much more severe than this. It's kind of like saying there's too many lens flares in in Star Trek 2009. Like it's like it. Yes, it is a thing, and it is a distracting thing, and it and it and it it does kind of. It's not an exact. It's not an exact comparison. I know, but but it doesn't it doesn't kill the film certainly you're going to have a great time with the film anyways and like like we've been talking about if we get the full cut of this film i imagine 90% of that criticism is going to melt away because they're going to have time to deal with the things that they have uh, but that that isn't the film we get i know well and that's the thing that's really bugs me because there are things especially by the end of this film that just don't make narrative sense like tony saying i'm tapping out like, why? Why is he done? We don't really have that explained in the narrative well enough to understand that why Tony's leaving at the end of the movie. And that's a huge part of this film that Tony's like, you know what, I'm, I'm tapping out. Even though we know he's going to be back in, you know, Civil War, this film is telling us that Tony is retiring from being Iron Man. That's what it's saying. It, well, if you take the entire Marvel, if you take the entire Marvel universe as a storyline, I think it makes complete and total sense to why Tony. What you know, first of all, he fell into this thing. Uh, it wasn't everything anything he intended or wanted to do. 
but he felt a responsibility to fix the issues that he had caused. Um, fixing those issues kind of led to some unintended consequences. And every single time he has tried to fix those problems, uh, it's just got, it's escalated. It's escalated and escalated and escalated until now he's what he's kind of directly responsible for, for a being who almost destroyed the planet. Kind of directly responsible. <laughs> no, no, he is. He's totally, he, I, 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 I don't, I think that's what, made, I think that, yeah, absolutely. He's totally Which responsible. Which I think you're right, Daniel. This film needed to do a better job, spend a little bit more time with that, with Tony, with his showdown with Ultron. What I'm saying is, you're right, it makes sense if you take into account everything that's happened before, but this film also needs to stand on its own and tell that narrative arc for Tony of him reaching that decision. And there's never enough time in those moments, especially with Ultron and the aftermath, where we see Tony make that leap of, okay, I've almost destroyed the planet, you know, because at the end of the film, Tony goes back to being a Tony again. Again, I'm watching my language, but he just goes back to being that kind of cocky jerk. We're not seeing the the remorse or anything that should be there at this point when he's literally almost destroyed the planet. Man, I, like, I, I just I don't I don't know if I could disagree uh, more. Um, I, I think that that's the most fascinating. I mean. From Iron Man, which established this universe, to Avengers, uh, you know, which had a huge life-impacting thing on him, and then to now Avengers, Age of Ultron, um, a lot of, a lot, for for very good reason, I think, of the Marvel Universe focuses on Tony Stark. And I think it's, um, and you can't separate Age of Ultron, you can't say this movie has to explain why Tony does what he does. No, we've known this character now for, oh my goodness, seven, eight, nine? I don't even know. No, what I'm saying is it needs to explain why Tony goes from where he is at the beginning of this film to where he is at the end of this film. And I think, I think it does, but I mean, I think the events of the film explain that, but. I'm saying they don't. That's, You're that's watching fine, this fine. movie and they're not they're not giving you enough time with this because it's all moving too fast. Again, there's not enough room to breathe to really let these characters completely to react to everything so that by the time you get to the end, again with Tony's character, he's he's not having any reaction to what's happened he's just back to being tony but that's it's like okay but that is part of his character right that that is that's him that's tony that's like no no i would i would say that um iron man 3 does a great job of at the very end seeing tony make some very untony like decisions at the end of that movie because of everything he's been through you see the aftermath you see the impact of what's happened here we just get told that he's tapping out Instead of having maybe him and Cap kind of have a heart to heart, which instead of them kind of bantering back and forth with Thor, feel like it would have been a better scene to have Tony and Cap and Thor talk about Tony saying, hey, I feel completely responsible for this and I feel like I just keep making things worse and I'll help you guys out with tech. I'll help you guys out (laughs) with that stuff. But I'm I'm stepping back from being an Avenger. And so I think that would have been a nice 
narrative push, and maybe that stuff was there, and they just had to cut it. Can out. we actually talk about the the Tony and and uh, Cap scene? Actually, I think that's one of the, one of the highlights of of the film, right? And ultimately, uh, you know, the the wood splitting scene, um, where where Captain literally rips a piece of wood and oh, that's and half, awesome, which was yeah. great, um, awesome. which was great. Uh, but that is, I mean, really, that is the genesis genesis yes. of uh of civil war that we're seeing that that the difference in opinion um and and even like the difference of opinion of those characters that, that was established in avengers and that will be carried forward um that that scene shows the differences in those two characters um in a lot of really interesting ways it's a super great super deep super interesting scene and i know you guys are on team cap <laughs> both of you you and andy are on, on team cap but it is, I mean, like, it's a great scene. Like, it's a, it's just so yes, good. And I really is. wanted to just, there's just a comment on that because um, there, we, we all agree this movie has a lot going on. But there are moments, we get Joss moments in the movie. And this is one of them where it's like, they're hitting the right note. This is exactly what we want yeah. to see. This, and oh, yeah. I would say that there are a lot of moments that we get exactly the right note. I mean, the the big strength of the film is these character moments between the Avengers and, and their relationships to each other, which I don't think any other director would have let have so much time. I mean, that is a good example of a scene. Basically, all of these scenes where they're just hanging out and, like, the banter with each other and then just connecting with each other and then the way they fight together and the way they've turned into this like seamless team. That's all gold, man. Like I, I love, I love, Oh, there they go. They're lining yeah, exactly. up. Exactly. That's well, exactly excited. what I was thinking about. Like Thor and cap using, using their powers together in like this seamless way. And I mean, they've started to show this, uh, even earlier than this. I'm thinking of, uh, especially winter soldier, when we see that Natasha and cap basically work together really, really well. And so like without even speaking, they will fight together very seamlessly. And they did that on an epic level in this movie where you got to see like the highlights of everybody's different powers and strengths. And then like, weaving them in with each other, which I thought was beautiful. Um, I'm pretty sure Black Widow uses Captain America's shield just as much as he does in this film. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, pretty, it's pretty cool. sure. Yeah, it's actually very Always cool. picking up after <laughs> you boys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that and then even with some of our new characters and the new powers, you see them start to come together um, and it's, it's cool. It's cool to see and those are the scenes that make me just go, rah, that's so fun. And it's just I like eye candy. Yeah, I love that that scene between Cap and, and Iron Man and, and Tony and Steve when they're with with ripping apart, you know, a whole log, which is just incredible. Um, and I, I, I like that scene because, yeah, they are setting up the whole Civil War conversation. They're already starting to have it. And Tony... It, I, it's almost as if he he doesn't completely remember what happened to Cap just a film ago with Winter Soldier and how much you know Steve is not on the side of government interfering with our liberty you know and that he is willing to accept the consequences of people getting to choose they can choose to do wrong and that's when we'll step in you know he's not about preemptive action he's about we, we we go in and we clean up the mess that humans make because we need to give them their freedom. 
Tony's kind of more on the side where he wants to control everything. And, yeah, no, uh, I, I, yeah, and I love that they're having that conversation. And you know, I, I think it, it, those are the moments that work so well in this film. And that's all that I've been arguing for is that this movie needed more of of Joss Whedon's control instead of the studio's control, and to allow all those character moments to really breathe and to grow. Because we would have gotten so much more out of it than kind of where we're oh man that was good but we're kind of having to apologize for the fact that we know it could have been better and that's what I was frustrated with because Avengers I didn't have to do that you know um, Joss really got to create this masterpiece of you know cinematic comic book filmmaking and this film the studio interfered in some ways I think they should have just butted out of and let him make his movie I think he'd earned it and um, I think it would have just been an all-around better movie because some of those scenes would have played out better. Um, I wanted to ask you guys, I got a couple of things. Um, there was a great article in the Wall Street Journal, and uh, they were talking about uh, comic book destruction uh, and comic book film destruction. And there was a great quote, and they said, in fact, Man of Steel is notable for showing the limitations of Superman. He can't be everywhere, particularly against a supervillain and his super army. The Avengers are a team. However, Superman isn't due to the one uh, and isn't due to get one until at least uh, another year. And I, I liked this whole idea of and I felt like even I felt like meta narratively Joss was talking about that whole Man of Steel thing. And not just in the ways that everybody thinks he is about we're going to save everyone. But I think he's talking about the idea of do, do people not understand that Superman is one person and in here I have a team of people and we can do a lot more. Because then you get to the Hulkbuster scene and it's just Iron Man and Hulk and they are ripping up a city. And Tony's doing everything he can to get him out. But they're really showing that if you were villain your bad guy doesn't want to get out of that city it's going to be difficult and you're going to end up destroying a lot of stuff and a lot of people are probably going to get hurt and even as much as they do with tony buys a building in five seconds and they level the whole thing you can't tell me that a bunch of people probably didn't get injured and died in that scene because of the fight that those two have so i just i love the meta nature that i feel like joss was thinking about all this stuff and he's saying a lot of things, but I don't necessarily think it's what everybody thinks he's saying, which is we're just trashing on Man of Steel. No, I think what he's saying is being a hero isn't as easy as it looks. And I I just liked that whole thing on both sides of saying we're a hero, we're trying to save everyone. At the same time, especially if you're one-on-one, there's only so much you can do because that Hulkbuster scene, I thought... It felt a lot like the Man of Steel, you know, SmackDown in Metropolis. Oh, man. Except (laughs) even though their entire city was raised, uh, the people of that city are are much better off than the people in Metropolis in that movie. I mean, I couldn't I could not disagree with you more. Um, Like specifically, especially when you're mentioning um, the fight in Metropolis uh, versus the Hulkbuster fight, uh, you know, Iron Man specifically scans the one building that he purposefully crashes into and essentially defeats the Hulk in. Um, by the way, Captain America could not defeat the Hulk. Um, uh, was 
he he scanned it for life signs. It was completely empty. He he did it specifically for that reason. Uh, right, but I mean, you level a building like that. I mean, we're we've got nine eleven basically. That's no, a no, 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 no. Sure, like. sure. So I mean, people are going to die, of course, because you crashed a building. But but then on the other hand, you're going to have a conversation between two of the Avengers where they said, "We are going to we're going to crash on this on this asteroid essentially." Um, unless every person, unless every person is off this place, like we will die with this city, unless there, unless right, everybody else right. is. Th- so, like, it is a total. I mean, like, you know, I know we're not, we're we're just not going to agree about this. I don't think, but um, I actually do think it's a direct uh, reaction to the Man of Steel kind of lashback. Is is the fact that there that no 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 our Avengers will sit here on this place and die for one person. Um, like we have, we have an Avenger that dies in this film, and he dies to save two people, and that's it. And that's that's he, that's it. Like he dies, he gets shot and is killed for just those people. And he would have done, I, you know, presumably the idea is that he would have done it for anybody, or any of those Avengers would have done that for anybody. And uh, I, like you can't compare Man of Steel, the Man of Steel attitude toward wanton destruction, with Ultron's. Destruction. I, I, I don't even think they're on the same plane. I think Joss was directly directly responding to this that that movies. I won't say DC, but I'll say that movies specific kind of disregard for human life completely. Uh, I, I you cannot compare them. I just don't think it's even possible. Yeah, and I don't I don't think that um, I think that's the point of what I the the article clip that I read was the fact that. That's the difference of having a team and having one person. And I feel like that Hulkbuster scene was very much in line with exactly what we see happen in in Man of Steel. Um, it, you know, um, and two, we think about this, Tony's been doing his job a lot longer as Iron Man. So, again... Um, Quicksilver hasn't, I, I th- And he, and he paid think the ultimate that, price well, for, for, to save well, but people. But that, that's... that's, that's Clark was not not willing to give the ultimate sacrifice in in Man of Steel. Um, he he was doing everything he could. I just I think what Ultron is saying is not necessarily again that that was my argument. It's just not saying exactly what I think people are saying, which is Man of Steel was crap about not caring about people, and Ultron is all about that. I think it's saying a lot more than that, especially when you dig underneath the surface. We but, do have a handful of uh, scenes where yeah, they very specifically right. go out of their way to save one person. There is yeah. there is the scene where Captain America and Thor, which, by the way, is hilarious, where <laughs> they're trying to save one person and they work together to save one woman. Right, exactly. But again, you have mm-hmm. a team instead of well, one person. Well, I haven't seen so, Man of Steel, you know, so... Yeah. I can't contribute um, very we'll, much to this we'll, particular conversation. <laughs> we'll table that because that is a conversation we'll keep having forever. Um, but I wanted to talk about this idea that it's all connected. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. before this movie came out was giving the hashtag, it's all connected, as if you really do need to be watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And my question to you guys is, is that really the case? Because I watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I still do. I still sit through it every week. I've seen all of Agent Carter and none of them really added to my enjoyment or my understanding of the, the what happened in the film. So my question of it does it is it just getting too hard to have all these things try to connect? And even Joss Wheaton himself said basically 
I didn't pay attention at all to what they were doing in the TV show. I, to me, Coulson's dead. Um, that's what he said. And I thought that how does it really matter? You know, it just, it was a quick question I wanted to ask you guys, because Andy, I know specifically you still watch uh, agents. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you need to, because uh, I mean, Daniel doesn't, he still understood Avengers. He gave up on shield halfway through the first season, but I did enjoy very much that, uh, the fact that I'm caught up on agents of shield means that the last episode I watched directly, references what's about to happen with Ultron and I just thought that was really cool I don't think it's necessary but I can go from watching an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. which has improved markedly by the way um, and then go to the movie and see Ultron and I'm willing to bet that when I go back and watch the next Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode that's coming up that it will all mesh in some way maybe not perfectly but in some way and I mean, we saw that with Winter Soldier, too, is I happen to be caught up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I go see Winter Soldier, and I come back, and lo and behold, the events of Winter Soldier are being played out on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I just think that it might not be necessary, but it's pretty cool. I mean, I I personally like having it that interwoven. Um, but, I mean, certainly Daniel didn't miss anything from the... Avengers movie and he doesn't watch it so I don't think that you need to to stay up on the uh, the TV shows and I mean if we're talking that technically Daredevil would be considered you would have to watch Daredevil too and I don't think that's true either it's just like all of these aspects existing in the same universe and occasionally being referenced with each other but I think the only thing you really need to do is watch the movies and I was, I'm glad you mentioned Daredevil because I was just about to. And it's like the last time we were all together, we were discussing Daredevil and, we, and I, I, we all liked the show and we didn't need, it was in the same universe. It's very established that that's the universe that it exists in. And we don't need them to call out, uh, oh, by the way, what's going on in Hell's Kitchen, New York City? Like there's some guy running around and and with a mask like we don't need to know that and and there's nothing necessarily that needs to cross over between those two things but you do kind of you you get a benefit out of watching those those two things separately and of course you mentioned i i haven't watched agents of shield since like episode 8 of the first season and i've never watched agent carter and uh, I don't think I missed anything. Uh, and and it's uh, I don't I don't people who are like who see these references as a bad thing to me. I just don't understand that. It's just like we had uh, uh, Ulysses Claw in this film, right? And presumably we'll see him again. Andy Serkis as Ulysses S. Claw, and we'll see him again in the Black Panther film. Um, but he 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 serves a purpose in the story, and and. It's just something that is. It's not like necessarily anything that you need to go out and investigate, but it it works, and it works that this is an entire universe. And Guardians of the Galaxy is actually the perfect example because that's a movie everybody's seen that doesn't necessarily directly relate to this film in any way, uh, except for ex- the Infinity, Stone. except for Thanos, right? Yeah. Um, but 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 you can go watch that movie. And know nothing about anything about uh, uh, Marvel. And it's totally separate, and that was that was by design. But I, I think that that it just shows the gradients. Like you can have, you can have a Guardians of the Galaxy film, or you can have a Winter Soldier film. And now, uh, both I think are cons- are widely 
are, are widely thought of as great movies, one has zero impact, essentially, on the Marvel Universe, and one has a massive impact on the Marvel Universe. So you can have all of these different properties working off of each other in all of these different ways, and it's not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just what it is, and that's just how they've decided to build this universe. The, the thing that I think about it is, like, Marvel has created an alternate reality um, where these the all of these things are happening, and you don't necessarily need to know everything that's happening. It's just... It's almost like a, a window into an alternate dimension where superheroes are real and this is what the world would look like on all of these different levels. Whether you're in space or Hell's Kitchen, this is what the world would look like if superheroes were real. And that I really enjoy. It made me feel bad for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that they never get to pay off. They always just like, and we punt it to the film. So <laughs> go see Age of Ultron and then we'll deal with the mess when they're done. And that just made me feel for the TV show because they never actually get to do the resolution to their story. They just always are dealing with the ramifications of the what happens. The other thing too is apparently mostly what we've been seeing on Agent S.H.I.E.L.D. is uh, a ramp up to the Inhumans movie. So uh, they might not even be able to pay off their their main storyline in their own universe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just exactly, feel like it's kind exactly. of like it's it's icing on the really delicious Marvel movie cake. Um, it's just, it's like extra flavor. What we call that icing? Okay, well, that's a sweet <laughs> way of looking at it. We'll, we'll let that slide. Um, so characters, you guys, uh, for this film, I, I wanted to mention one thing um, bef- as we jump into this section. There's been a lot of talk about Black Widow in this film. And because of her relationship with Bruce and um, the fact that, oh, she wants to have a baby. I don't know if they even said she wanted to have a baby. It just seemed like she was sad she couldn't have the choice to have a yeah, baby. exactly. Um, and you know what? I just want to categorically say just because a woman wants to maybe have some kids one day, maybe, that might be a possibility and she might feel sad that she can't, does not mean she's not a strong, kick-ass woman. It just means she's a woman, and that is okay. Um, women can be more than one thing, just like yeah, exactly, more than one thing. Um, and I'm disappointed in fandom that we're having this kind of reaction because uh, Black Widow is one of the strongest, coolest, most awesome characters that we've had in these films. To me, she's been the standout in Avengers, and she was amazing foil for for Cap. Uh, in Winter Soldier, just working alongside of him and just kind of sharpening him uh, and the character he's become in this movie. I think you could really see that. So let's stop that because that's just stupidity, folks. I think there uh, are legitimate yeah. criticisms you can level of the portrayal of Black Widow in this movie. And unfortunately, I think what really happened is Marvel in general has not treated their female characters as well as they should have. And it kind of all culminated in this back- black backlash over Black Widow's characterization in this movie. I mean... We're not going to get a female-led superhero movie from Marvel until Captain Marvel, and that's way in the future, and we have this one, she's basically the main female character in the entire MCU, by far, and they still haven't given her her own movie. We can't get decent merchandise for her. Um, I mean, it's just, I feel like what basically what happened is, People have been complaining about this particular issue, female representation in Marvel Universe, for a long time. 
and they haven't seen any market improvement and they got frustrated and it all kind of culminated in this final backlash that we'll probably be seeing moving on. And I mean, the backdrop to this too is we had two of uh, the major actors, Jeremy Renner and Chris Evans, calling this character a whore and a slut, which I think contributed greatly to people being really upset about the way she was portrayed. And it's not so much this particular movie as it is an entire culture around comic books and comic book movies and Hollywood movies in general in which people were just got fed up. And I think there are legitimate criticisms that you can bring up that don't have to be nasty and don't have to be, you know, tearing everybody apart and saying that Joss Whedon is a bad person or a bad feminist or Black Widow was ruined or any of this stuff. But I do think that we need to examine how we portray female superheroes because there are so few of them that what we do with this main worldwide female superhero does matter and we need to be careful with it. And I, I don't think that all of the criticisms are necessarily fair, but I don't think that it's stupid to have a discussion about how we treat our female characters in movies like this. No, I and I don't mean that stupid. Um, what I mean is the just kind of like nastiness yeah, that we've seen. At no point should Joss Whedon be getting That's the part that I threats. think is stupid. Having a having a conversation like we're having right now is completely different than people getting on Twitter or Facebook or whatever and just saying the most horrendous things. Um, and it, it, it that's what's stupid because it's not helpful, you know? Um, and I just, I, I personally didn't understand it because I liked that I've seen one side of Black Widow in films already that Marvel has done and they're deepening the character for me here. They're showing me that there's a different side to this character and just because they show me that Black Widow does have a softer side underneath all of that armor that she has on that she doesn't show a lot of people doesn't make her not a strong woman, not a strong character, not a great female role model, any of those things. You know, I just I I don't understand why a woman talking about the fact that she can't have children and might has the feeling that she might want those someday is such a terrible thing for a female character to say, or that she might have a romance because, you know, Jeremy Renner's character in this film has a family and a wife and all of those things. And nobody's making fun of him or saying he's not a strong male. character. I agree with you totally on this particular issue. I didn't. And this is the thing too, is I mean, you can you can get on Twitter and there's still a hashtag on about Joss Whedon and how feminists drove Joss Whedon off Twitter and like all of this sort of thing. Feminists do not have like this hive mind where we get together in our global domination, you know, back rooms and decide this is what we feel about one thing. That's good to know. So in this particular this like conversation she has about being sterilized, I took a totally different way than other people did. And I personally don't have a problem with it, but I certainly understand why somebody would. Um, I I agree with you, Matthew, that I thought of I thought of it as Black Widow being sad that her choices were taken away from her, and that she ha- she was trained and brought up to be one thing, without feeling and without choice, just a killer, and that made her very sad, and that made sense to me, and I thought that that was an interesting take on her character and I didn't have a problem with it 
But I also know why some people would, especially since this is the only woman superhero that we've seen up to now. And now we have Scarlet Witch, which we could talk about more. But it's just, it's, it's frustrating that we have to pin all of our hopes on this one character and put all this pressure on her. Because you're right, nobody is, is crying over the fact that Clint has kids. Or nobody, nobody seems to really react that both Steve and Bruce have both expressed sadness that they can't have families or they feel like they can't have families. And the reason that we put so much pressure on Natasha is because she's the only one. And this is just an argument for why we need more. Because then we can show a diverse range of female characters that are you know, making all sorts of decisions about their lives and it, there won't be so much scrutiny on one character. Well, and I think it means that we need to be careful too when that happens that we you don't ruin the fact that there is one and that she is so awesome, you know, and that she can't be everything. You know, like you said, she's one character. So, you know, especially Joss writing this script, he's he's writing the things that feel true to him for this character in this story, you know, and I think, um, you know, she can't be everything, you know. Um, so we have to remember that when we're talking about characters and films, they're not going to be everything we want. You know, all of our expectations are not going to be met. And, um, so with a character, especially like Black Widow, I think it's best to, um, allow some of those expectations to be pushed to the side and judge what we have actually been given. And I think if you look over, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe for, Black Widow, what we get is a really compelling story about a very strong, amazing woman that I've loved so much that I do. I want to see her in her own And film. yet we have the slate and for Marvel that's amazing. movies till what, 2020 and beyond? Well, and she doesn't yeah, exactly. have her own movie. And this is something we've yeah. been asking for for years now. And I think Mar- Marvel has not done a, a good job of countering that criticism. And this is people are frustrated and I certainly understand that frustration because I've sat here and I've gone to every single you know Marvel movie and I've watched them all and I love them all and it's just I just would like more and I don't think it's unreasonable for us to ask for more I just it would be nice if we could get to the point where and this is just kind of geek culture in general where we could get to the point where we can bring up these criticisms and not freak out both sides because there are certainly plenty of people who are now freaking out about the stupid feminists and why can't they just be happy with what they've got um and so there is that that extra side of things which is super fun Mm -hmm. and the whole thing is just silly feminist icon wonder woman is coming to film yeah so after iron man has had three movies I was just I was just gonna say hashtag bring on Lady Thor. Yeah. That's, oh my god. <laughs> oh oh oh. I and see. I almost forgot. Uh, Supergirl. She's about to. Supergirl get her own TV show. show. Yes, yeah, and so. we're seeing progress in this, I think, but it's minuscule in comparison to what people want, or or rather, what a section of fans want. They want to see more progress than this, and I, ah, I think that's legit. I mean, yeah. A section well, of fans. I don't know. I, I just. 
I think most people. Well, I mean, I hey, I'm not a woman, and I still no, want no, to see a black I think, widow. No, no, I actually movie, think so. the producers in Hollywood are way more old-fashioned than the general audiences. Oh, I agree to see with that film. too. I I think that I think I think a Black Widow film, even though necessarily she's not my favorite character, but I mean, I would see it, and I and I, I imagine most people would see it. But like when Captain Marvel comes out, I, I think it's good. It's gonna show them, or Wonder Woman. Even DC can turn this around. It was with Wonder Woman. It's gonna show them that that people have no problem going to see a, 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 an awesome superhero female film. You know, we had the Sony leak recently, and there are a lot of really interesting emails that came out about that. But one of them was uh, an email between executives in which this guy uh, I can't remember which producer it was, but it was one of the high up people on Sony. That basically listed off all of the female-led superhero movies that failed. And he went all the way back to 1984 and Supergirl. And I'm like, really? I don't have to go that far back. Let's talk about Green Lantern and Green Hornet. I mean, there are plenty of male superhero movies that have failed miserably, but you're not seeing all of these people go, well, guess they don't work. Better stop making them. It's just really, the whole thing is, the whole conversation is tired. We really just need to get to the point where we have more of these awesome lady characters because Scarlet Witch was awesome. We could start talking about her because I Let's loved, I loved Witch. Scarlet Witch. Yeah, what did you guys think of, we'll, we'll jump into the new characters we talked to the old guys, but, um, you know, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch and Vision are all introduced in this movie. And, uh, yeah, how did you feel like they did? Uh, okay, I, I, I will say... Other than their like Slavic accents that they had to put on, which I I, I always am reminded of like eighties action <laughs> villains, like like I like I just like that's what I think. Like I don't, don't buy you as this as this accent. I would have been better off if you didn't have it. Um, like you're in a Bruce Willis movie, exactly, or exactly. Diplomatic, <laughs> sort of. um, but. Uh, I like both Quicksilver and uh, a lot, actually. Uh, both Quicksilver and um, Scarlet Witch. I-, I am sad. I was sad. I was very disappointed. I mean, there were rumors. There there had been casting rumors that Scarlet Witch is going to be in Civil War and know nothing about Quicksilver, essentially. And uh, so, well, now we know why. And uh, I was, you know, Joss loves to kill people, and it's fine. It's it's. I guess if you're going to kill someone, that's who you would go with. Um, I love those two characters, though. I thought they were great. They made sense. It really, like, it was an impact, even to the even to the old Avengers when he died, um, but especially to Scarlet Witch and how that worked out. And honestly, um, the moment, this was the moment, I mean, I know that, like, we've been dealing with this for a while, for years now, uh, but the moment that Vision looked at Thor and said, you know what, I want a cape, and gave himself a cape. That's when it. Yeah, that was. Nice. That was when it fully turned into just. A, it was an on-screen comic book. That's all it was at that point to me. And like that's when I knew we were having fun. And it was just like. Uh, and then of course, um, you know, the the big moment in the original Avengers film is when <laughs> Hulk confronts Loki. You know, the puny god moment, and he just smashes him into the ground. I, I to me, the biggest moment, at least in the theater that I went and saw it, was. When Vision was holding the hammer, and like that's when people yes, lost yeah. their cool, and it was like, no, that now we know this is a cool guy. Now we know. Uh, I, I love Vision. Uh, Paul Bettany is amazing, 
Oh my goodness! And uh, I, I, I want him in every Marvel movie going forward. Well, it's extremely well balanced. Well, you know, you—if it's not unbalanced, you lose something in the swing. So I yeah. liked the grace that, that was Paul awesome. Bettany brought to that. You know what I mean? Yes, like he—he yeah. he comes and he's just so quiet, and like every move is very graceful and elegant and precise, and just. It, him flying makes sense. It doesn't feel like this is a character that should walk around. This is a guy who should float quietly everywhere like a like a butterfly. <laughs> so I just really liked the way... And then sting like a bee. <laughs> I just really liked um, him, and it's, it's fun to see Jarvis get paid off because we kind of all saw it coming. Well, we did, probably not the general audience. Um... But it was fun to see, and I think they pulled off that character introduction really well, and I am super excited to see him coming forward, and just, let's take a moment and realize how many storylines we had juggled in this movie, and how, for the most part, they work. Um, so many characters, and this is what I, I, I think I said this to Daniel before we even got on air, was like, nobody but Joss Whedon could have, like, juggled this many characters and given them all. Joss Whedon, one of my favorite things about him is he gives everybody their, what they, what, hero moment. So we have all of these amazing, just, like, beautifully staged shots where each of our characters get, like, their moment to shine, and I love that. Um, and I think he does a good job with all three of our new characters and kind of establishing who they are and giving them these these very quickly drawn scenes that kind of give us an idea of who these people are and why they do what they do. I really, 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 really like the scene between Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch where he's basically yes. like, yeah. if, you, so good. if you walk out this... There's flying <laughs> cities and, and robots a a and I have a bow and arrow... <laughs> None of this it makes sense. That's <laughs> so good. Which was such a great meta moment to yeah, us in the audience. Just, like, guys, this is ridiculous. Just let it go. Have fun. And, and then, like, having it be that kind of, like, funny moment and then him being like, but this is my job and I'm going to go out there and be a hero and save people because it's who I am and what I do. And if you want to be a part of this... That's what you have to do, too. And then when she comes out and they, like, meet eyes and she's like, it's my job. That's beautiful. I love that. And and it it, it pays off, right? Like, it pays off the whole farm scene. Like, the whole that, – that is the culmination of the criticism of Hawkeye of the first Avengers, right? It's like, why is this guy doing – like, why do we care? He's just some guy with a bow and arrow. And then, like – it was so brilliant how Joss played that criticism, like how, or, you know, how it was written that he, you know, no, no, yeah, we get it. He is a normal guy and he knows that it's ridiculous that he's shooting these aliens and robots with his bow and arrow, but he still does it because he feels a duty to do it and he wants to protect people. And that's what was so amazing that he was like giving this new character this advice, like, doesn't matter. Like, you, you have to protect the people. You have to be a hero. Yeah, and I mean, it's always bothered me because they they level that that uh, criticism at Black Widow too as the two non-powered uh, members of the team. Like, why are they even there? And that has always annoyed me because both of them bring a lot to the table. And to me, it's like in gaming. Like, if you're putting together a party and you're just bringing tanks along, you're not gonna fail at your job. You need you need some rogues. 
You know, you need people that have different skill sets and ha- bring something different to the team. And I liked that they gave Hawkeye this moment in which Scarlet Witch quietly steps in and takes down our biggest members without blinking. And Hawkeye is the one that stops her. Hawkeye is the one that manages to be alert enough to his surroundings and takes her out. Whereas all of these big dudes that are swinging hammers and shields and, you know, encased in metal and like the powerhouse members of the team are like drooling on the floor. Because I just love that. Sometimes you don't need a hammer. (laughs) Sometimes you need an arrow. For me, I really like, I like all the new characters. I think they're good. Um, I wish, again, hearkening back to what we were saying before, I wish we just had a little bit more time with them. The, the, the creation of Vision, I think I would have loved to have had just a little bit more breathing room there with all of that because it's a big deal. Um, you know, and I think it should play off just a little bit slower there so we can really see the ramifications of what we're creating and you know, you have no time for really any of these characters to kind of explain what their powers do because there are a lot of people out there who have no idea who Vision is. You know, they have no idea who Scarlet Witch is or Quicksilver. Well, he's fast and she's so... weird. <laughs> <laughs> right, but so, but then we get to Vision and nobody has any yeah. idea who what his powers are, you know. And so it, it, somewhere along there, I just would have liked to have had just a little bit more space for that. You know, I think Quicksilver... Um, it's difficult because he's already been done, unfortunately, in Days of Future Past, and that is the scene of that film. Yeah, for sure. He completely steals that scene, and it is, and it, there's, I almost feel like they're like, there's no way we can top that, and we are not <laughs> even going to try. Um, I, I really feel like that's how they thought about it, and he just doesn't really get enough to do throughout the movie. I was, I was disappointed in that, um... And then, of course, he dies. So I, I felt a little bit bad for the actor that Aaron Taylor Johnson that, you know, like he gets to be in this big movie and then like he's only there so he can be the the death scene that helps his sister, you know, def- help defeat the enemy, which is great. It, it's great motivation and everything. I just felt bad for him. <laughs> like he's going to be the one character in the Marvel Universe we're not going to bring back. He gets he gets <laughs> resurrected as Kickass in the third uh, Avengers okay, film. There you so go. don't worry about it. You know. <laughs> One thing that I would say, too, about that storyline that they I wish we had had more of, Matthew, because you're talking about, like, we could have used a little more character development for them. One thing that I didn't totally buy is that they switch allegiances, and there's, like, no time given to that. And they have this whole, yeah, whole storyline yeah. where they have this hatred of Tony Stark, and yet we never see them confront Tony, or Tony have to confront the fact that, any, you know... And that was never paid off in an emotional way. And I, I do understand, like, okay, so when they decide to, to switch teams, it makes sense why they decide to switch teams. It totally does. And then they start fighting. Yeah, because if they don't, yeah, they're going to die. And, you know, they're at heart not bad people. They were just coming from a different motivation. Um, and then when they're fighting on the train with Cap, I mean, he, I feel like he's like, okay, um, suddenly they're not fighting me. Cool. I'll roll with it. Like that to me even makes sense. But then afterwards they get off that train and they bring them back to Avengers base and suddenly they're just on the team. And like, nobody's well, no, like, but, but huh? I, I just, to me that, that works for me. Like their hatred of, of Iron Man is, is irrational, essentially irrational. It's like, like, <laughs> I don't by the agree. way, I think it's pretty rational. 
No, no, no. no. Right, well, like, like if you, if you, really, you think that's rational that you would like if you saw a missile with like a logo on it, you would hate the per, you would hate the CEO of the company that built that missile. Like, that, uh, you think if that's I had just watched my parents die and I okay, was well, that's fine. Terrified but, and a child and hiding under a bed and all I can see is a missile with the name Stark on it. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think I would have right, some yeah, resentment with Andy on towards this him. One. They have pretty good motivation, <laughs> at least from their point of view. And that's where the OV1 thing comes in, where it's a certain point of view, and they don't see that other point of view. But I'll say, Andy, one of the things that helped me a little bit, and again, it just needed more time to breathe, is that when they get back to um, you know, Avengers Tower, there needs to be a longer scene between them and Tony because they're saying Tony can't see his hubris. And that's in a really important scene in this movie because this movie is about Tony's creation of things and his hubris of thinking he can solve all the world's problems through his technology. And yet he's already created one murder bot. And he, they think he's about to create another one that could be even worse and so that, again, that scene just needs to breathe more because how those characters come around there and what they're doing there, especially with Cap, and again, it, it's a it's setting up Civil War really well, but at the same time really paying off this film, it just needs a little bit more space and a little bit more exposition there to draw out those themes that you're talking about, Andy, and I think it would have just been spectacular because that's a huge theme in this movie is... Tony and his hubris and we don't again we don't deal with that sufficiently because there's either not enough time or what but it we again we just don't deal with that enough I, I will say that I'm sorry I just I have to to, to, to play play this completely if, if you had if somebody came into your home tonight and shot you with a gun a Glock and the Glock fell on the floor and you saw that that that, that the logo that's like you getting mad at the CEO of that company. That doesn't make any sense. You can't like rationally know that doesn't make any sense. Like you, you don't blame the person that created the weapon. You blame the person that wields the weapon. So uh, to me, that like it was them. Not that that I I even think that's a big part of what happened. But I think that ultimately you 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 they get to a point where it's like no no it's not about the hatred that we have for the weapon. Well, and it they're. They're children at that point. Right. No, that, I get what, it. What, but I, I mean, I also, I also think that it's totally reasonable to hold people who make weapons accountable for how no, they I are. don't disagree with then you. I like, don't, the, I don't understand that. I that's guess what the entire first Iron Man is about. But like if somebody beats your mom to death with a Sluggerville bat and then drops it on the ground. Yeah, but the person who made that don't get bat mad didn't at the make seat. it to kill people. You don't know. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, yeah it does but it- because they made that bat to play baseball and it was used as a weapon. Tony Stark didn't make missiles to play baseball. But he, technically, he didn't make missiles to. to, to anyways, we're not going to get into it. Uh, um, uh, can we talk? I mean, I'm sorry. I don't want to hijack this, but let's talk about Ultron, right? Matt, isn't that where you were going, Matthew? There. Well, what I actually wanted to talk just a little bit about was the characters themselves. When they, we talked a little bit when they interact, but I wanted to kind of talk about the the great hammer scene because yeah. I think when we're talking about ca- characters, we need to talk about this scene where they're all goofing off with the hammer and just how funny it is. 
And my two favorite scenes in the film are Cap saying language <laughs> and then the rest of what the jokes that go with that. And then Cap moving the hammer just enough. Then Thor's face when he can't pick it up is priceless. It is aw- exactly, exactly. So, so awesome because we know that if of any of the Avengers, Cap is the one who would be the most worthy because as, you know, Ultron calls him, he's God's righteous man. That's That's who Cap is. And I just... That scene where he moves the hammer just enough, it is heart palpitating. I mean, it and then just, they pay that off. With it gets you excited, picking as a, it up like it weighs nothing. Exactly, exactly. So I mean, that scene yes. could have been a throwaway scene, but he uses it for a couple of very significant story purposes, which I think is the beauty of a scene like that. Is it works on a lot of levels. I mean, one year reminding us who these characters are, are and how they approach problems differently. And, you know, <laughs> that, and it's also um, just fun and funny, right? Character moment. Then he undercuts it with the super creepy villain introduction, which we haven't talked enough about how scary James Spader is, even with just his voice. Um, and then paying it off later as a way to tell us this vision guy is who we thought he could be. You know, because it's kind of... It's unclear at first, is this another Ultron or is this going to be something different? And there's no better, faster way to make it more visually apparent that this is a good guy. Does that mean he rules Asgard (laughs) now? Yes, and he's going to reinstitute Prima Nocta. Oh, uh, see, if they had just removed that joke, that scene would have been perfect. (laughs) Okay, I love that that black widow that she's like oh that's not a question Yeah, because she doesn't need to get involved because i mean the whole joke of that scene is tony making all these innuendos about manhood right and black widow's like nah, don't need that you have your little contest here i know my worth i don't need to get involved in this just like yeah it macho it's bs basically awesome. <laughs> okay so villain I wanted to talk a, a little bit about Ultron. You know, I think if there's been any weakness in the Marvel films in general, it has been their villains. They they haven't always had the best villains. And um, I think Loki has been the best villain so far in any of the Marvel films. He's just, uh, he's so well done. Um, especially to it's Tom Hiddleston and just the way that they write him and he's been played. It's just fantastic. Um... So what did you guys think of, of Ultron as a villain um, and, you know, his motivations? Do we have enough time to really understand why he's trying to destroy the entire planet so quickly? Um, yeah. What did you guys uh, think? You know, um, I, I I tend to, to stay away from this argument like we've already kind of been talking about the whole time. <laughs> but I will I, but I will agree with you that th- uh, specifically this storyline, uh, I think of all storylines, um, kind of... Uh, suffers the most from not enough time syndrome. Not enough, like, it's a very big leap. Like, all of a sudden, like, Tony gets this idea, and he he convinces Bruce to help him, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all humans should die. That's it. Like, uh, James Spader's amazing. Like, uh, he's he's menacing and, and tense and scary. 
Um, but I, it was a huge leap for me to be like, I just, I killed, quote unquote, I killed Jarvis. And now I'm going to kill everyone. Like, I, I just thought that there was like, there was a m- moment or something we missed where he, he, it should have been explained why he thought, you know, we get the, the line that's repeated time and time again in the film, peace in our time. Um, that was that was ultimately supposed to be his motivation, um, but I just felt like it was kind of used as a crutch. Peace in our time. How can we? The only way we can achieve peace in our time, like if you if you've never seen an AI storyline before in your entire life, this would not have made sense to you. But because we know, kind of, we get the the theme, the, the bad. Robots turning yeah, Skynet, yes, yeah, Terminators. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's taken. F- I think it's taken for granted. Um, uh, we don't get to see the process Ultron goes through to to make that decision. It's just ultimately, immediately, he just makes the decision that we need to kill all the humans, and which is fine. I, I but I mean, he is a terrifying presence when he's on screen, and James Spader is amazing, of course. Oh my goodness, could you find a better, creepier person to play that role? I think they do try to give us that, but I think you're, again, spot on. It just needs more time. When he first comes into being, he's accessing the internet, and all those things flash before your eyes, and it's all those pictures of war and destruction and hatred and all this stuff. So I think that they're saying Ultron can come to this decision so quickly because he's processing all this information about humans and what he's finding is humans are our own worst enemy. So it's time for God to throw the hammer at us or the planet or whatever you want to throw at us and start over, you know, just like Noah. Um, That's what he's saying. And that happens very quickly on screen. It makes sense in the storyline. But as a human being we don't process as fast as a computer program it does. And I think you're right. It just needed a little bit more time to breathe because also the whole idea of Ultron being that mirror for Tony Stark, I think is a a really important theme that, you know, he is um, the worst embodiment of everything that Tony wants in the end. Um, You know, all the things we're going to talk about in civil war, this is the embodiment of how everything goes wrong that Tony wants. This is what Captain America is fighting against. Um, he doesn't want this kind of thing to happen. And Cap even talks about that. He says, you know, and every time we've we've tried to do anything preemptively, innocent people have ended up in the crosshairs, basically. So that's the argument. And that being played out between Tony and his creation is very interesting because you have the old biblical idea of the creation trying to get away from its creator and Ultron ultimately hates his his creator and Tony has this insaneness of how much he hates him and uh, I think, again, the, all of these things, they're great themes. They just need some more time. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed his performance. I really liked how he has this just amazing voice that can go from like this kind of quiet menace to like absolutely full-on bonkers mcgee um tantrum and still make it feel very scary and cool and interesting um and i do think that he is he basically is the theme of this movie which is we create our own worst enemies and our own worst enemy is ourself 
I mean, most of this movie, like, Scarlet Witch comes in and makes everyone see what they fear the most. And, you know, it's Tony's fear of failing and his his very noble intention of trying to protect innocent people and protect the world. And, like, the way he knows how to do that is to build the biggest weapon. This is what we've seen from him time and time again, is he just... He's still looking for that ultimate weapon that will keep peace forever. And how that turns on him is really, really cool and interesting. So I really like I really like the theme that's playing out. And I really like the performance of James Spader. And he's certainly... I think he's a good villain. Um, I do think that we could have used a little bit more of, I guess, setup for that. But I don't think it... I don't think it suffers too badly because I, I, I do feel like at this point murderous robots are kind of a tr- staple. <laughs> so I think that well, it's kind of- well, we did we did aliens in the first one, right? <laughs> so what do you what do you do in the yeah. second one? Hell, basically. I um I do have to say that Ultron is way scarier as the creepy robot right after the party scene where he's just kinda like than he is as the lip-moving super robot that he creates. Like, that is... And if we weren't trying to do the whole, like, you need to evolve and get better thing, it would have been so much cooler if this unseemly, disgusting thing was the the main villain, the one you were so scared of. And it, it doesn't look like it's scary, but it's really the scariest villain they've come up against. And, yeah, it was... And and Spader's perfect, you know, and and part of it is because I think he's playing at is an alternate Tony Stark. I don't know. I don't know if they they plan on it because they definitely plan far ahead. But Ultron is definitely not dead. I mean, he, he they can revisit him at any point that they want to. Like they said, oh, this is the last bot. But very very, I think in the middle of the film, they're like. He's uploaded his consciousness to the internet, and and like it's you know I I think if they have a reason to bring Ultron back, they will. I I don't think we've seen the last of him. Well, I wanted to do something that uh, I thought would be just kind of fun before we give our final ratings for this film, and have you guys kind of give me one to eleven your rankings of the Marvel films, and no no real comment. Um, from each other just kind of where you feel like the Marvel films fall for you and it's it's very personal you know so but um, Andy why don't you give us um, your uh, rankings for the Marvel sure. movies um, I kind of know this one by heart I'm still not entirely sure where I'm putting Ultron ultimately <laughs> um, so I, this is Ultron could move because I feel like that's kind of the a, a movie that you'll like the more you see it um, in the same way that you walked out of the theater and were like, well, I have to see that again. I feel like there's more to discover in that movie. So I might move it. But the way it stands right now is Winter Soldier, number one with a star, uh, followed by Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Avengers, the first Avengers, um, the and then the first Avenger, the first Captain America movie, Iron Man, then Thor, Thor 2 The Dark World, Iron Man 3, Iron Man 2, and The Incredible Hulk. What about you, Daniel? Uh, yeah, nothing's going to beat Avengers for me, I don't think. Um, I haven't placed Ultron yet in this in this scale, but 
I, I would put um, – it's going to be Avengers. It's going to be Iron Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Iron Man 3, uh, probably um, at that point. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It would be Winter Soldier, Iron Man 3, uh, then Captain America, Thor. I might be missing some of them. Thor 2. Um, and then uh, Incredible Hulk at that point. Well, for me, it is uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, uh, and then Captain America First Avenger. Iron Man is three. Uh, four is Avengers. Uh, five is Age of Ultron. Uh, six is Iron Man 3. Seven is Guardian the Guardians of the Galaxy. Eight is Iron Man 2. Uh, nine is Thor. 10 is the Incredible Hulk, and the number 11 is Thor the Dark Yeah, you've never been a huge fan of the Thor movies. I knew yours would be lower than mine. (laughs) I like that first Thor movie. I think it's fun, kind of like the the humor of having this Norse god just tramping around in the desert makes me laugh. Yeah, I I don't know. It just, um, Thor never clicks for, for me, and I wish it did. So, but we'll definitely talk about that when we cover Thor. We're gonna try and and move through some more Marvel movies this uh, this year if we can. So, um, but uh, okay. So we have talked a lot about uh, Age of Ultron and talked about a lot of its good points and its bad points. And I, I think uh, we've given the movie a, a really fair shake. Um, where in the end would you end up rating this? Where in the end would you end up rating this film? Well, how how would you rate it? What um, would be your rating? And let's do because uh, I want people to kind of get an idea uh, since this is new. Let's do out of five. Uh, you can do quarters, halves, whatever you need to do where you feel like you're giving it what you want to. Uh, Andy, where would you put this? Four movie? out of five. Okay, awesome, Daniel. Yeah, I, um, four, four and a half. Four, I say four point two five. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Four and a quarter. Uh, for me, this is, is definitely uh, a three out of five. Um, I think it's it's definitely a solid Marvel movie, um, but it's it's uneven. And so, but I still enjoy it, you know. And, and honestly, if it, God, if it wasn't for all of the great character interactions, this movie just wouldn't be the same. And, and those, the charisma of these characters carries us forward and uh that speaks a lot to just these actors and the writing um so for all the issues that i had it's the writing and the the way that they pull this off that makes me fall in love with it and heck if it was just that scene of them with the hammer then this movie's whatever else happened it's definitely a three out of five so I mean it, that's just fantastic so well guys it has been so much fun talking about the age of Ultron with y'all and I'm so glad I got to sit down and do this with you uh, obviously I, I guess I can't have other people for Marvel things because <laughs> I need you two arguing back and forth um, but it's not the only thing that we've been arguing about here on Trek FM this past week so here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Set this movie at the end of the five-year mission. Skip ahead five years, you know, kind of like Dark Knight or whatever, and then Mm -hmm. say, okay, 
we've had all these adventures, blah, 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 blah. And now we're at the end. We're about to go home. You know, and it's been, a, you know, a fun time was had by all. Earl Grey. Again, you know, because it's January, my ship was shot beyond the bounds of normal stellar <laughs> travel <laughs> to the center of the galaxy. But we were back in time for tea. The orb. They're, they're not even right. thinking about it at this point. Okay, how yeah, do we well, exactly. start the resistance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we do all this? Yeah. Because they have become comfortable with where they are and thinking yeah. that they're doing all they can. And yet right. we know, as the audience, that they're not. To the journey! I want you to say right now in front of our, our friends, okay, and in front of me and the Lord Almighty, <laughs> what is your favorite season? Okay, this isn't the favorite season. I want you to tell me what your favorite season is. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel and Darren, promise we won't ever be like this. The Ready Room. So what's the deal? You know, does Tom have a dad we don't know about? Apparently. Because who <laughs> was this was guy that he was remembering yeah, as his know, dad? Was that Nick Lacarno's dad? <laughs> that was Nick Lacarno's dad, yes. Commentary, Trek stars. But I mean, oh, here's yeah. the question, John. If if you're living Fight Club, then you know we have to ask: if you could fight anyone, who would you fight? William Shatner. All right. Literary treks. The main storyline here is the battle for the Vulcan soul. They are one of the most logical races, and yet they have an intensely spiritual aspect to them. Axonar, the official podcast. You were there. Mm. How long did we wait for them to try and reach that? Phone oh man, it was it was it was at least as long as the Enterprise penetrating V'ger's <laughs> outer shield to getting into the actual machine core. The six oh two club. So, as far as the realism question is concerned, um, whether or not it's the right thing to do, it's the Marvel way to do it. I mean, I think that's the that's the defining difference between Marvel and DC. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Guys, check out these shows. Find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You know that we're wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you love what we do, you share our passion for all things geeky, for all things Star Trek, want more people to know about what that is that we do, help us out. Um, you can give us ratings and reviews, whether that's on iTunes or the other places like Stitcher. If you subscribe in iTunes, that really helps us out greatly as well. It just makes it easier for people to find our shows when they're searching for us or when they're just looking through podcasts. It's those star ratings and reviews and subscriptions that really help us rise in the rankings there in iTunes. It makes it easier to find. You know that even if you're not an Apple user, you can find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. Of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way that you can really help us out, keep all of our shows coming to you, is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. We're a listener-supported network, and so without you guys, we can't really make this happen. Um, we just run on a volunteer basis. We do all this because we love it, and so it's through your support that we can really make this network happen. Go to patreon.com slash trekfm. You can check out all the current goals we have. We've got different milestone contribution levels. You can get some great perks. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. I wanted to say a quick thank you to our associate producers, Norman Lau. He's a huge supporter of the 602 Club. You can find his Twitter account at 
at Norman Lau. He's also a big supporter of the Star Trek Axonar project. You can find him on their local Facebook page as well as the Babel Conference. And of course, you guys know, you can hear him now on Warp 5 as the host. And of course, I'd like to thank Ken Tripp for his support and being an associate producer here on the 602 Club. If you'd like to contact us, guys, we just got some great contact last week. It was so much fun to actually get some feedback from you guys. Go to trek.fm slash contact. You could leave us a voicemail. Just look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com. You'll find us on Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And of course, if you want to have a great discussion with us about what we talk about here on the 602 Club or anywhere else, Go to the Babel Conference. Just type Babel Conference into the search field on Facebook or go to the website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. Now, Andy, when you're not uh, hanging out with us in the 602 Club, having a few drinks and talking about great movies or TV shows, where can um, we find you? The easiest you? place to find me is on Twitter. I am live tweeting my first time watching Star Trek and I actually am about to watch the uh, fifth and sixth Star Trek original series movies, so we'll see how that goes. Um, and then, <laughs> hey. Six is still hey, my favorite. Don't don't set expectations for me, Daniel, okay? Didn't say anything. Didn't, <laughs> I just giggled. I didn't say a word about it. So, <laughs> so I'm about to do that, and then... <laughs> sorry. Um, you can also find me on my own podcast that I host with three other women called Women at Warp, where we talk about Star Trek. Um, and you can find us at womenatwarp.com. And Daniel, when you're not hanging out with us here at the 602 Club, I know there's some other places that you hang out here on the network. Where can we find you? Uh, believe it or not, people can find me here right on the network um, with my my two fantastic co-hosts, Darren and Philip. We talk every week uh, about Star Trek The Next Generation, and we have a great time. We have so much fun doing it. Take a listen if you haven't yet. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter. My handle there is at uh, 1UpDan. That's the number one, not the word. Well, of course, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I also do literary treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And I'm on The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine exclusively. And then I own my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Do reviews of movies, books, and just other things that interest me. Thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now you're here. Avengers! Avengers!